0: Welcome back to eConversations with Nabe, the official podcast for the National Association for Business Economics, and your one-stop shop for catching up with the latest in business economics on the go. Today's episode is a webinar replay from the September 12th webinar, reshaping the retail and customer landscapes through location intelligence. Over the next hour, the webinar will explore how location intelligence is utilized by firms to enhance decision-making processes, refine marketing strategies, optimize supply chain logistics, and streamline expansion efforts. Focusing on real-world examples in retail and customer sectors, the panel will address key questions such as how businesses integrate location data into their existing frameworks, how have the trends in location intelligence evolved over the years, how is AI reshaping the landscape of location intelligence, and what does the future hold for location intelligence and its role in shaping business strategies. The session is moderated by NAB Consumer and Retail Roundtable Chairs Mona Virjandi and Sarah Wolf. Mona is a principal economist at PETCO, and Sarah is an economist and vice president at Morgan Stanley. Mona, take it
1: away. Thank you, Kathleen. Um, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Welcome to this panel session on the role of location intelligence in the retail and customer sectors. Uh, we are very excited um, to be here and have you here to learn from our great uh, panelists. Uh, my name is Mona Birjandi. I'm a principal economist at Petco. Um, together with my colleague Sarah Wolf, um, economist and vice president at Morgan Stanley, uh, will be the moderators for today's discussion. We have a fantastic panelist here who will be sharing his expertise and insights on this topic with us today. Um, Before we get started, a few housekeeping notes. Um, This is going to be a 45-minute-ish panel session featuring our panelists and me and Sarah as the moderators. Uh, We will have 10 minutes towards the end for audience questions. Please feel free to post your questions in the Q&A box as um, Thomas is presenting. We'll make sure to address as many questions as we can towards the end. Without further details, let me start by introducing our great panelists here. Uh, We have Thomas Paulson, the Director of Research and Business Development at placer.ai. Thomas, has spent many years as a Wall Street analyst and a member of significant asset management teams at Alliance Bernstein and Cornerstone Capital. Um, He has represented top 50 ownership positions in companies such as Target, Home Depot, Ralph Lauren, Nike, um, Amazon, Google, and the list goes on. Uh, Thomas's industry expertise is consumer related industries, including retail, CPG, uh, financial services, telecom, internet services, as well as consumer insights and economics. Prior to this tenure, Thomas was an economist and even a mechanical engineer and an earlier stage venture capitalist. We are very excited and glad to have you here, Thomas.
2: Well, thank you very much uh, for the invitation, uh, and uh, thanks for the support of NAB uh, to be able to share a little bit about uh, one subset of alternative data, which is mobile location data. Uh, and then um, I also want to uh, apologize to the audience. We, we have quite a, quite a slide deck to go through, and that's going to be a little bit of a faster pace. So just as a, as a forewarning, um, so put your seatbelts on and, and we'll get going.
1: Awesome. Um, So um, I also wanted to mention that it's my pleasure to moderate the panel with Sarah. Um, Sarah, would you please kindly introduce yourself and share a bit about your background and expertise with our audience? Great. I'll keep it brief because we as Thomas mentioned, we have quite a few
3: slides to get through. But mm-hmm. as Mona mentioned, I'm a vice president on the U.S. economics team at Morgan Stanley. I've been here for over four and a half years managing the consumer platform. I specialize on research on consumer behaviors, on um, pre and post COVID work, the transmission of monetary policy to households, the impact of uh, demographics on consumer behaviors over the longer term as well. Uh, so. And I'm and I've been on the consumer retail roundtable at NABE for the past year, and it's been a great experience. So maybe with that, I'll I'll pass it back to you, Tom.
2: Okay. So um, um, the way I kind of introduce uh, mobile data, uh, it's really kind of contextualized. Mobile data is an important context, and um, in terms like you know, mobile data, seeing uh, you know, uh, where devices move all over in this you know, metaverse or in just blank space is not really that um, helpful. It's important that that data is contextualized and uh, there's lots of different platforms for mobile data, um, but I would, you know, kind of within our platform, characterize it as a novel and flexible tool. Um, Novel meaning that a lot of organizations and, and researchers have not really had exposure to it before, and so it provides some unique insights. And then the flexible means it's kind of just limited by your own imagination, ingenuity, and creativity. Um, so with that, um, okay, there we go. Um, so mobile data I, in this context it fuels really novel, timely and impactful insights, both on the macro and on the micro. Um, Low latency, high coverage, consistent mobile data offers really, in my view, the best real time data on the US economy. As we all know, that's, you know, the consumer economy, 72% of the US economy, largest economy in the world. So it really affects really global economics, financial markets, interest rates, exchange rates, politics, all matters of quarters. Um, so what is mobile data and how is it obtained? Well, generally, mobile data is acquired through apps on individual smartphone. And uh, within the terms of agreements, in terms of conditions, within a, within a particular app, um, one opts in, in, in a kind of post-IOS privacy uh, first context. So um, the way I kind of, the, the two examples I use, like, so, for example, if you have a Fitbit or an Aura or even iWatch where you're trying to have your movement you know measured your calories counted your sleep measured you leave your app on um, if you have progressive insurance or all state insurance and you allow their app to track you 24/7 um, so they can better understand what kind of driver you are you opt in and you get a $50 a month discount to that so that's really how the data is obtained. And then this location data is contextualized over points of interest. Um, so points of interest is like a retailer, a restaurant, a shopping center, where you create a geofence around that. And then as the mobile as the mobile device moves through that geofence, you see the visitor come in, you can see the visitor go out and you can see how long they stay within that geofence. It also can be, um, Contextualized, in the sense that where the device resides, either as a place of employment or a place of residence, you get census data or lots of other types of data that's aggregated at a census block level or a census or a zip code level or uh, however the census or different data aggregators organize their data. Um, the important Attributes in terms of data quality include panel size. So, how many devices does one see? Uh, the quality of the panel, de biasing in terms of being representative of a population. So, it's just a sample. The frequency uh, of the signal or ping, uh, one to two minutes per um, one to two minutes per ping, if you will, would be a good frequency signal. Not like a one ping a day or. One, you know, two pings a day. It's really hard to understand, you know, how a person is moving through the economy or, um, uh, in terms of their activity, if you're seeing only once or twice a, a day. And then really the durability of a device's signal. So uh, the longer, the better uh, for placer. We're about roughly a year. So someone opts in and they use a given app, or they hold their device for about a year before they are no longer using that app, or they're no longer, uh, or they've upgraded their device. Um, another important consideration is how far back does the data providers go? Our data goes back to January first, two thousand seventeen, and so this has been highly interest or useful uh, in the last two years because we can really do easy. Uh, pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic compares. And then another consideration is how recent is the data? So uh, some people have data that goes back, you know, it's on a monthly basis and you see it one month ago, our data is as recent as three days ago. Uh, And then the other consideration is, does the provider own the data or is it based upon uh, data that was acquired through data uh, brokers and different apps that they stitch together. So you don't really have a consistent, if you're stitching it together, you don't have a consistent panel. It's changing, you know, in terms of the signals that are within each of those um, panels. Um, and so uh, what is a geofence? A geofence is, it's really a complicated technical answer, but it's, a, it's using cellular triangulations and Wi-Fi tower triangulations of the GPS signal that's in a device. Um, it doesn't require hardware, Hardware. it comes in the form of a software that can be integrated, if you will, um, into, the, into that API. It's more, geofencing and this kind of thing is more beneficial for uh, large range outdoor POIs um, and where you kind of translate the area into a polygon. So for example, in a, in a indoor shopping center, you have a polygon that goes around the whole shopping center. And if there's multiple levels to that shopping center, or if you have a retailer at the bottom of a large office building in New York, you can't distinguish the Z-axis. So um, you can't really understand if what's going on in terms of individual units within that. So um, we could see the whole shopping center or a gap store that's on, the uh, it's an outside gap store outside the open air center, but not within the shopping center. And um, the POI service or function must attract um, enough device signals to create a representative sample of the population. So uh, if you have, you know, a single individual's house, just for example, you know, there's, you'll see we're only sampling one in nine people, we're not necessarily going to pick up a good sample of the population. So large facilities that have a larger dwell time, dwell time is the amount of time they spend inside the device. So for example, or the, the POI, so for example, drive-through uh, in terms of QSR restaurants or pickup locations in terms of someone just coming in and going out of a FedEx store or a UPS store. And those are pretty small populations as well. Those types of um, POIs can be a challenge. And then, um, Lastly, just in terms of coverage, representation, this is what PLACER looks like. Um, you know, there'll be obviously uh, um, geographies where there's a you know heavy concentration, high population density, you'll get lots of signals. You know, you'll notice that in areas in uh, central Montana, right, it's pretty light coverage. And so this is kind of, again, where you kind of have to have algorithms and normalization um tools to, to try to create um to de-bias the data in terms of the population in terms of how much you're sampling from a given area and so you don't overweight a population or you don't underweight a population so i'll lock there i'll break for a minute
1: thomas thank you very much this sounds like a very rich um, um source of data can you uh please provide us some maybe visuals uh, on how this data looks like on your platform on placer ai's platform
2: Yep. So this is just explaining, you know, like what this looks like. So here's a target store in Brooklyn. And on the right is what it looks like on a Google map. On the left here is the geofence around that uh, target location. And you can see that the co-tenants of that target location are Home Depot and a Staples and a Petco and a Five and so what this looks like in our system so this is the last 12 months, this one Target store had 3.4 million visits by 950,000 visitors. The, we don't, we see roughly about, nine, about 9% of that in terms of what makes up our panel. And then we gross it up to the, the estimated population within that region to come up with visitors and visits, and we can see the visits on a daily, we aggregate at a daily basis, and you can see obviously over the holiday here um, that there's a lift um, between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then a lull. Um, this looks to be around. Um, you can see a pickup here around uh, middle of middle of June, etc. And then, since we're seeing our since we're seeing our panel every minute, we can see the places, the locations, the POIs immediately before coming into that target and then where they went immediately after. So 41% of the visits, or yeah, visits into this target, they came from their home, 5% from work, 4% from probably nearby uh, BJ's. 2% from Home Depot and then where they went immediately after. You can also look at uh, their, for those who went to this given target, what was their favorite um, other brands that they had visited in the last year? So in the last year, those who visited this individual target, 72% of them also went to a McDonald's, 54% also went to a Walmart, 53% also went to BJ's, 52% also went to Home Depot. And then on the bottom here, number five, this is showing the home location so that where the device resides from 11 to five, gets taken on a repeated basis. We assign that as their home location. We aggregate at a census block level and then randomize or scramble the dots. So you can't see you know, where anyone given actually lives it's a you see the census block where they live and so all data that's aggregated at the census block level that can be tagged to that device and all the other devices that are entering that census block and this is really a heat map so you know the, the high red here is where there's a high f- frequency of visits and then you can see you know as you get out over here to brooklyn um or east west brooklyn that you know there are not so many people who are coming um over to that uh Home Depot, or uh, Hoboken, I should say. Um, so uh, we can, as I mentioned, see the census block. Uh, U.S. Census creates, you know, great, <laughs> they're a great sampling of, of individuals uh, or uh, households and their, what their, whether their families, their ethnicity, their household income, their family size. And so what I'm showing you here, this is a kind of a um, uh, 30% of the visits are coming from household or or, of 30% of visits are have a a, a 62% are family households 50% 63% 70% are, you know, so it's generally family households that are at this um, visiting this target in Brooklyn, and then um, there are lots of other data sets um, showing here just Experian mosaic. And different psychographic profiles in terms of percent of their total visits to this given location, and then you can see this kind of amoeba as you know from where that visitation is coming from, um, and you can see uh, how two different brands how they compare. So this is looking at where visitors are coming from to the target, and then also where the visitors are coming from to the next neighboring Best Buy. And not so, um, not unsurprisingly, very, very similar uh, overlap between where these two brands and their locations are sourcing visitors. And then um, this is showing what I said uh, earlier, being able to look at pre versus post pandemic. So uh, looking at the first half of 19 versus the first half of 23, And you can see that there's been a little bit of um, concentration, a little bit of a shrinking of the visits um, where um, the trade area for this store has contracted a little bit. And then interestingly, you can see um, that on the right hand, this is looking at census, that the median household income has actually dropped a little bit, and you can see that this is indexed to, to the state. So pre uh, the pandemic, it was about uh, let's see here. Oh, let's see where, where the bigger drop is. like in these buckets, yeah, yeah, so in these buckets here, it's actually increased, and that's what I that's why I call it out. Um, it's increased in lower income households uh, in terms of who's visiting the store. And um, one of the things you can filter for, Uh, We have lots of filtering um, techniques. Uh, You can filter by not only the date range, but um, day of the week, uh, the time of the visit, the duration of the stay, but also by income levels. And so here in this example, I'm looking at, you know, this is the overall frequency of visit. And then, uh, or the, the heat map in terms of uh, visits. And then, here on the right hand side, I'm just showing you where visits are coming from with households of you know, 100 or 200,000 or greater in income. So, um, that's kind of what it looks like in our platform. Another kind of, oh, can I get one yeah,
1: more? Go ahead, go ahead, please. Yeah.
2: So, another kind of a fun one is, uh, in terms of what you can see with our data, is um, Taylor Swift, I'm sure you're all aware, just had a uh, well-reported, very large tour. And I'm showing here uh, where to find, I just wrote a note a little bit ago about um, how the Swifties compare between tour stops and where to find them. And here I'm showing the Vegas um, um, concert date and where did folks fly in from. Uh, or come from that went to that event. And again, this heat map will show that you know, most of the visitation to the Taylor Swift show uh, in Vegas came from California. And to me, it was surprising, not very much from Texas. Um, and then another thing that one could do is I'm looking here, uh, again, the kind of psychographics, experience mosaic and also census you know, what is the profile of those who came to the tour at these different, um, at the different stops. And uh, interestingly, Detroit, Pittsburgh and, uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh were very idiosyncratic or unique in their, uh, in the psychographic profiles of who came to that tour. Whereas Cincinnati was very similar to the tour average. So, and given the, in the, like industrial uh, and population history of these three t- towns or three cities, I thought that was a little bit uh, curious. And then, oddly, um, or maybe not so oddly, if you went and looked at the SoFi Stadium and um, and who came to that event, um, it actually had the lowest median household income who attended those tour stops versus the tour average. So on the right hand. 74,000 was the median household income for um, that uh, event. Uh, And that's pretty much average in terms of California. And in terms of the other tourist stops, uh, the median income was 91000 So anyhow, a lot there. Sorry.
1: Awesome. Um, Thank you very much, Thomas. Um, I'm sure among the audience, we have um, at least two groups of people, business um, um, owners and business uh, people, and also researchers, would be curious to know about some real-world examples of how this rich data is being utilized by different businesses to make informed, bes- them, informed um, business decisions. And also, for researchers, they'd be interested to know um, how so whether they can access this data for research purposes, and if so, what is the you know access mechanism, and whether you have any collaboration with research institutions. Institutions. So if you can talk a little bit about um, these two aspects, that would be great.
2: Yeah, I mean, so we we've, we've worked with several um, public interest, uh, public policy groups in terms of providing data to help them uh, study or create a, a um, understanding on a particular issue. Um, and the mechanism to do that is to reach up to me um, and uh, okay. I can you know organize our internal assets to see if we can help those research uh, participants. Um, so that would be kind of the path in terms of research and policy folks um, and wonderful we, uh, uh, you know uh, honored to 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 kind of assist you know some people who ask me can you do this and you know certain circumstances because of the dynamics of mobile data like you know what you're trying to understand from a, from a population and sample size you can't you know you can't really properly sample certain types of um uh, of locations of POIs for either cuz it's not enough visitors or um it can be sensitive like certain you know um, certain facilities are you know um sensitive from a, de- a defense or a- other um, questions uh but uh, so anyhow just yeah reach out to me and be happy to do that in terms of um kind of industry use cases, I have a few around retail to share and how different um, retailers um, and operators have used our data and this kind of more retail CPG a little bit, but again, uh, just kind of to help understand what mobile data, how to think about it. There are a lot of data sets that are organized around the bottom of the sales funnel. So. Uh, point-of-sale, receipt data, um, so IRI, MPD, numerator, credit card, all kind of bottom of the funnel. Mobility data really gives you the top of the funnel and able to kind of understand what happens between the top of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel. And then you can kind of get into you know real estate real estate effectiveness realist you know uh, you know um adjusting your retailer portfolio in terms of remodels and relocations you know understanding your marketing and how much that's driving you know uh, visits into the store um, being able to separate out your marketing from macro and kind of i kind of go through each of the different stages here as if it were for a retailer but the same kind of measurement could be made for restaurants, shopping centers, theme parks, car washes, et cetera. Um, so in terms of, this is an example. Uh, so in terms of uh, remodels, so Kohl's had a large initiative over the last few years to put in what they call Sephora Shop and Shops. And this was a significant investment and initiative and part of Kohl's. Now it's to be rolled out to all of the Kohl's stores. Um, And really what it was is to try to create an offering, a a prestige beauty offering, which they didn't really have a successful one for decades um, and bring in a younger, uh, more um, multicultural, more fashion forward uh, uh, customer or consumer and introduce them to a whole new set of um, merchandise brands that Coles Kohl's had brought in outside of beauty. Um And they had um, done this in a phased manner, uh, which most retailers would do. So they had 73 of these stores opening and 37 are remodels opening, 43, 42. So I created what I call different classes. And what I'm showing here here is you can see visitations on a year-on-year basis for coals on a nationwide basis, and then this, first class of openings. And the first class of openings kind of underperformed the nationwide as there was disruption as they were going through that remodeling process. And then you can see upon opening, you can see the lift that's happening to them. And you can do this for each of those classes and each of these classes showed um, uh, uh, a lift, if you will. So the initiative was having success in bringing in Incremental um, sales and customers. In fact, if you looked at a given location, and you can do this for each of these classes or the chain as a whole, they were getting this lift because they were driving higher customer frequency within the trade area. They were getting acquiring new customers within that trade area, and the trade area was expanding. And I actually, just looked at this um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, if you looked at Dallas and Los Angeles, where they have a lot of coals stores, and they're all remodeled as uh, um, Sephora Kohl's, um, it's not only driving incremental visits to the Kohl's locations, but it's driving greater frequency to the standalone Sephora locations. So it's been a significant win, not only for Kohl's, but for Sephora in terms of acquiring uh, new customers and driving higher frequency. And uh, and then another um, use case, in terms of using a Placer. This is looking at um, a Walmart location in uh, Oxnard, Ventura. So it's kind of Southern California. And what I'm showing you here is visits to that Walmart that came one time in the last 12 months. And here's where visits are coming nine times in the last month. So you can do a geo-targeted ad campaign to drive frequency in these areas where you're getting you know, a visit, but not a high frequency. Or another campaign that you can do is here, the areas in red are areas of high discretionary spending per the Census Bureau's data. And um, and then you can see where the visits are coming from. And then so you can look to do a customer activation or acquisition campaign uh, to these regions, whether that's outdoor, social, or um, Uh, video. Um, And then uh, another way of looking at our data in retail, there's a common um, phenomenon, which is, and for a lot of businesses, it's like, okay, you have easy compares and hard compares. So when you have an easy compare, it's easy to show growth. When you have a hard compare, it's difficult to show growth. And what I'm showing you here is Kohl's looking at 21 versus 19. And then 22 versus 21, so it's really 21 versus pre-pandemic, and then 22 versus 21, and you can see that there's almost a, you know, there's a mirror image between these two uh, dynamics. And if you do scatter plot, uh, you know, this would be what the scatter plot looked like. So you can see, you know, there's a pretty good relationship between those easy and hard compares and how this year uh, visit. And so if you actually did a, um, a curve fit or a regression over those figures, you would get you know, minus 0.84 coefficients. So really highly significant in terms of that comparison and a high R squared. So really what that would mean that it's really hard for coals to drive idiosyncratic growth. And this year's growth is pretty much going to be a reflection of how we did in your base period. So you're not really a lot of secular growth, if you will. And so here um, I have 21 versus pre-pandemic and then 22 versus 21 so kind of similar to what b- you saw before I did a regression in there and so that gives me that purple line if you will and um, i can see my visual cut screwed up here sorry um anyhow so i can create this um, uh, i'm going to go to skip over this one um so with you know a regression and a cur fit, if you will, the regression only is going to hold, hold true if you know conditions don't change, cetera's cetera, paribus, all things uh, remain equal. And there's a number of initiatives that Kohls had in the second half of '22 that were not in the in the first half of '22. And so they were going to have another 300 Sephora remodels. They were going to increase their promotions and their points to their um, loyalty uh, members. They were going to have better in stocks versus gaps in the assortment in the in the prior year. So there were a number of initiatives that should actually be outperforming um, the regression and that would show efficacy with those initiatives. And in fact, um, for the first part of the second half, they were outperforming the forecast. So it showed that their initiatives were having efficacy uh, until actually got into late September, which is when um, Visits went dramatically southward, uh, and that really reflected the persistent and painful inflation that uh, households were dealing with. That they cut back on discretionary. So,
3: Thomas, that's a oh, that's a. If I could just chime in, that's a really good point because we've done a lot of work. You've done a lot of work talking about you know micro and and what's going on with specific retailers. But I think a lot of people here on the webinar would also be really curious to take a step back and kind of understand how could we use this data to understand the macro landscape a bit more and really what's top of mind for everybody is how have higher interest rates how has higher inflation impacted consumers over the last couple of years and are we seeing shifts in consumer behavior as a result of the mounting pressures from inflation and interest rates. So I would be curious if you've been able to leverage this data to see um, if there's been behavior differences in order for consumers to perhaps be a bit more frugal or cut costs somewhere.
2: Right, yeah. So understanding the macro, we just uh, did a number here on the micro. So inflation, um, food inflation in particular, you know, has been a, significant, and I would say it's an anomaly. Really, households were not really used to this type of 30% in, uh, rise in food costs and grocery costs. And that really pinched discretionary spending by less affluent households in the second half of 22 and 23 and even to today. Um, what I saw happen beginning in the big, uh, February of 22, was a, so before the 22, there was no really, Um, um, big distinction between different value points in grocery. But in February 22, where that food inflation just continued to burn, you began to to see a pretty large channel shift by households, less affluent households to begin with, and then that broadened out from a premium small format and conventional grocers to small or to hard discount and value grocers. So so you can see here really february 22 kroger which i call conventional sprouts which is premium small format in traffic began to decline and you can see that that persisted all the way through and then that where that traffic went is into grocery outlet which is kind of a, a bargain grocery if you will uh food for left which is a hard discount brand all these creator joe's etc and what was interesting is then so you had this one shift for households to try to get the uh, stretch their dollars and get the calories they needed when we hit february of 23 it built so we began the shift there and then we built on the shift so this persistent inflation right is leading to more and more households shifting from one type of grocer to another and this is looking even through this um, end of July, you know, grocery outlet just up substantially 15, 20%, all the up Trader Joe's and Kroger and fresh markets um, um, still down. So even though inflation, food inflation has kind of leveled off since March in terms of food prices, uh, we're still seeing households shift into value formats. And it, one of the things we can do in terms of cross shop, this is looking at California only and Q3 of 21, Q3 of 22, and then comparing those two. And you can see Walmart has picked up in terms of visitation and cross shop across almost every brand. So that would be an example of a macro, uh, a macro dynamic. Um, so that helps her?
3: That's great. Yeah, that's great, Thomas. And and, I, and I'd also be curious on what your data has been showing in the pre versus post COVID world. Have we seen any types of, um, you know, shifts in migration patterns on where people want to live or don't want to live and have those reversed out? Um, in addition, have we seen any type of shift in, um, you know, people's desire to do in, you know, services and entertainment? Has that shown through in your data in a pre versus post COVID world?
2: Yep, so it's kind of just good to organize around, you know, what is a POI. So, you know, what we talked about here is a retailer, um, a grocer, but it can be movie theaters, it can be theme parks, it could be a cruise terminal, it could be arenas, it could be Times Square, it could be Rocky Mountain National Park, it could be the state of California. I uh, could look at you know thoroughfares, so Fifth Avenue or Dale Drive to look at lux- luxury spending, if you will. Uh, Empire State Building, Seagram's Building, Hudson Yard, Return to Office. Mm-hmm. And then we can also look at large, POI could be a large manufacturing plant like a Tesla, Ford, um, Amazon, et cetera. Um, this, we have a few tools and, and some of them are free, some of them are not free. So this is looking at migration. So you know historically, one looked at migration data, they used uh, postal change of address forms um which is you know a useful tool um we've kind of organized around it a little bit differently where we've identified a move if you will that's somebody's moved from one geography to another and they stayed there for more than 30 days and we normalize for snowbirds and etc but we can or we can organize this data in terms of the income levels of migration or the home values of migration like how, what was the you know home values where people were moving out of and where are they moving into so you can see moving affluence or or lessening affluence from one region to another and then clearly with the pandemic you had you know a lot of people migrate from deep urban markets into more rural open air markets and then there's been some mean reversion and we can see that pretty clearly in our data Um, another thing we do is um looking at tourism and so we can see in this example this is austin texas for the last um year and where um, where people have been coming from to visit Austin as a tourist and you know, how long they have stayed there you know what's their what's their disposable income in terms of that so you can see you know where they're sourcing those visitation, that visitation from or that tourist tourism from and what does that tourism look like in terms of income or psychographic or however other dynamics you want to look at. Um, so those are a couple macros. I know I, I would have liked to had another example here, but we have a pretty good rich data in terms of. Um, uh, return to office and, and we, and I think on our, our website, there's a free tool to look at, um, uh, at many different like core urban markets in terms of what is the return to office. That's Wait, great. Um, data.
1: sorry, oh, ahead, sorry, S- Sarah, I just wanted to remind the audience, if you have any questions, please feel free to drop your questions in the Q and a section. Um, Thomas, you can oh. continue. Sorry. I just okay. To no worries. To uh, a everyone. couple of
2: examples around supply chain, but I'm going to leave those um, this in the deck you can look at them. i'm happy to take any questions um, in the Q&A or after the call but um, one of the things i think just to kind of end on is you know how may mobility data affect operators well one is i think it allows for a better signal on demand trends um, and so businesses can plan inventories and headcount um, head and that and that allows them to create more durability to their business during the last few years, supply chain has been uh, top and center uh, in terms of the conversation around the economy, uh, inflation, and um, and just operators' ability to get the products to the shelves, if you will. And so we allow you to have better visibility on your supply chain like for that, like, say, an example, when we had port congestion, you know, instead of looking at satellites, um, counting the container ships off the port of Long Beach, we set up a geofence around the port of Long Beach and you could see the number of longshoremen working, you could see the number of trucks coming in and out and each truck that was coming in and out was a container. So that was a much better real-time read on um on, on clogging the ports, if you will. Um, better local market insights for, um, for targeting and focusing one's investments. So that allows for a better chance for favorable returns and a calling of waste. I mean this last year has been the year of efficiency and and you know I think you know focusing one's having the ability to better focus and better target just eliminates a lot of waste and a lot of externalities that come with waste. Um, better allow to understand you know, one's gaps with One's customer base, and so one can do geo-targeted ad campaigns. I gave the example of Walmart for retailers in commercial real estate. It's kind of better site selection, better tenant mix, allowing for you know a better attribution in terms of sponsorships. Um, Partnerships in terms, of, I gave the example of Taylor Swift. So, if you're doing a big tour, like, you know, who are the audiences' differences between different markets? How do I sort my food, beverage, and merchandise for those different audiences? Just was at SoFi Stadium yesterday. They have lots of different programming, not only the Rams and the Raiders, or you no, know, Raiders and those Chargers, Rams and Chargers, but they have lots of music tours coming through. And so, it's really changing, you know, the food beverage, merchandise, um, and really how it affects that community in terms of those moving in and out for those given events. you know, better understand household migration and that can affect your decisions on to, you know, open to a new market or contract or pull out of a market. So kind of plus or minus investments, understanding return to office, uh, understanding the better impact uh, on a market. So uh, for example, if I set up a distillery, you know, how much, uh, how much does my distillery traffic and how much tourism do I bring to my county? Or if I'm setting up a new EV plant or a battery part or something like, I can look at the whole mobility around a given region once if I have a test sample that I can bring that allows for a better assessment in terms of um, economic impact to a region. So that's what I'm sure.
1: Thank you very much, Thomas. Um, Looking at questions, we have a question from the audience here asking how small can a geofence be? Do you have data for a small shop with it or only for big chain
2: stores? Um, Yeah, so the way I think about it is if you're using, you know, whatever your panel is, you know, so some panels are down to a million devices, um, some are up to 25 million. So it's kind of what how much population, or how much, uh, you know, how much of a sample are you going to get from a given um, location. Um, and, you know, is that representative so in the example I gave with target I mean that's a, you know, we were looking at nearly a, you know, if I remember, uh, a million visitors, uh, a mi- nearly a million visitors, right? So it's a really big sample. Um, if you get into, you know, a s- small bodega, you know, you're not going to have a, a really good representative panel. In terms of like industrial, I gave, I skipped over it, but like looking, this is looking at Tesla, and production in in Fremont. So in terms of industrial facilities. We kind of organized around, you know, if you have 600 employees that are kind of showing up on a consistent basis daily, you know, that's a good sample that you can have a a good read for the shifts' work overall, and shifts' work is proportional to units produced or pig slaughter or oil refined or what have not.
1: Great, thank you. Um, and people have asked about copies of the presentation. I know the um, webinar is recorded and will be available on NAEP's, uh website. For specific details, I hope it's okay, Tom Thomas, if I encourage people to reach out to you directly.
2: Yep, absolutely. And then, Captain, you know, if she can make the presentation available, anybody, you know, more than welcome to to take it.
1: Great. Um, Two more questions just came in. What segment of the population might be missing from the data?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, we try to de-bias the population so that we have a representative. Um, You know, there's things that you can't, since we don't have any unique personal identifiers on the signal, there's, you know, a um, there's limitations in that way. So if you have a, a point of interest that is, say, primarily orientated to men, for example, and you know our sample is going to not be able to really um, be distinguished to um, you know it'd be both men and women actually that you know our panel would show. Um, so. Those dynamics um, can create some bias, but you know what I find is you know those use cases and those examples are, are pretty infrequent and um, and um, and so if there's a limitation, there's a limitation. But the the the, the you know how frequently have those dyna- um, situations, if you will, are, are pretty uh, pretty few.
1: Okay, great. Uh, another question we have here from uh, the audience is the time spent in a retail store being measured, and if so, has it changed in any way from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic era?
2: Yeah, it's you know it's kind of gone back and forth. So you know during the pandemic, um, the duration in a given retailer you know actually expanded because people consolidated their purchases into one primary retailer so they weren't doing visiting five or six different banners to get whatever they needed they just did in one all the cart and get out um, and then and then that kind of loosened up if you will as we began to kind of normalize in 2022 um, and then we're actually seeing it um, shrink a little bit more uh, this year because uh, folks are what I call cherry pick or what others call to cherry picking promotion. So they'll come in and buy just one or two items at one brand. And then they'll go to another brand and pick out one or two items that are promoted. And so that those are all, you know, fairly short visits. So that will affect the, you know, the aggregate, if you will. Um, uh, you can definitely see like, you know, just disengagement. So like deep declines in traffic for department stores beginning in, the fall of 22 as uh, less affluent households curtailed their purchases <clears throat> um but then it, it's actually it's interesting and what that actually led though then is to an increase in conversion rate um because those who actually did show up really intended to purchase and they weren't just you know casually coming through they just wanted to a lot of households just wanted to to really remove the temptation of purchasing anything so they just didn't show up. they didn't visit
1: Great. Well, thank you very much. We are about time. Um, So before we conclude the panel, I want to thank Thomas for sharing his valuable time, uh, expertise, and insights with us today. And also a special thanks to Sarah for uh, all the support in organizing and moderating this webinar. Your contributions have really enriched our discussion and provided very valuable perspectives. Thank you once again for joining us and thanks uh, to the audience for joining uh, for this conversation. If you have any uh, questions left, please feel free to reach out to us, uh, any of us directly. Thanks for tuning
0: in to another episode of eConversations with Nate. We hope to see you November 8th through 10th for Tech 2023 in Santa Clara, California. Each year, NABES Tech Economics Conference brings together hundreds of applied economists, data scientists, academics, and grad students for an intellectual exchange on how developments in economics and data science are impacting approaches, frameworks, tools, and techniques employed by practitioners at tech companies and other businesses. The conference also includes the NAPE industry job fair designed to deliver the resumes of top economics candidates to employers from leading tech firms and other firms hiring candidates with highly technical backgrounds and training in economics. For more information and to register for the conference and see the full program, please visit NAPE.com tech
1: 2023.